Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the one, the only Remso Republic podcast. I'm your host, as always, Remso W. Martinez. Go ahead and do me a favor. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Remso101. That's R-E-M-S-O-101. Follow me. I'll follow you back. That way we'll go ahead and grow our ever-loving Liberty family. We've got one mission here. It's super cheesy, definitely a ripoff, but just bear with me. If you're an old listener, you've heard it a million times by now, but every episode is somebody's first. Our goal here is to go ahead and make freedom fun again. I'm talking about the ideas of individual liberty, free markets, limited government, the very basic concept that I do me, you do you, we don't use the government as a violent middleman, and we can go ahead and live our lives with peace and prosperity. Common sense, but apparently these days this is considered radical thinking. But let let me uh, let me just go ahead and you know start up the show. Get to the reasons why you're here. This season we have a bit of a theme going on. It's the idea of disruption, creative disruption. Who are the disruptors? What are the things that are innovating the way that we communicate, the way that we think, the way that we engage with each other? You look at the technology spurt that we've had the last two decades or so. I mean, it's already 2018 now. It's amazing. And, you know, things are so drastically different. I remember when MySpace was a thing. For those of you that have no clue what MySpace is, don't go on there because it's like RoboCop's Detroit now. If you ever had a MySpace account, you go on there now. It's like, you know, going into an old, uh, you know, project in Detroit. There's going to be crackheads and needles everywhere. Just not a place you want to go. Just take my word on that. But this episode is a topic that's been very high demand because we have a large number of activists and future politicians. Ugh, I don't know why anyone would want to call themselves that. I love not being anywhere close to that right now. But we always got to make sure we get the good guys out there, right? One of the biggest things that has democratized content, the ability to go out and reach the end user, which is for a lot of you, voters, donors, readers, listeners, it's the idea that social media is – the only way you can essentially exist online and go ahead and meet those end users, those engagers, those people you want to go ahead and spread your message and your brand out to. And we've spoken on the program before the, you know, the benefits of understanding social media, but often we tend to under, we tend to forget, ignore even the concept that social media can sometimes turn into something that could even damage you. There are ways to abuse it just like everything. I don't claim to be an expert on this, but I went ahead and brought on our guest today, who is. You've seen her work over at The Resurgent and a lieu of other places. Gentlemen, behave, because just like a buck, if you misbehave, she'll go ahead and shoot you between the eyes. I'm not a hunter, so obviously she can go ahead and correct me on that. Ladies and gentlemen, Gabriella Hoffman. Gabriella, thanks for coming on the program. Thank you for having me, Remzo. It's great to be on. So is social media this magical unicorn-like a platform or can it possibly turn into Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde if we misuse it? I think social media serves a very important purpose. And unfortunately, when it's used incorrectly, it can really bring up the worst of humankind. That's you, you pretty evident. You don't say. You don't say. Yeah. We see people put out death threats and make all these accusations and ruin people's lives if they're not of a certain viewpoint. So ugly 
viewpoints and ugly behavior can certainly come out of social media. And hopefully we are trending away from that. And hopefully politicians trend away from that, too, going forward. It, it seems to be one of those things where um, and I, I tried to stay off social media for the longest time as possible. It wasn't until, you know, eventually I turned it into just, you know, a pseudo LinkedIn, so to speak, that mm-hmm. I had to get into it when I was in college. But it, it just seems that you you have to be on it to exist. But some people just go overboard with it. And nothing is more. I'm not going to say repulsive. But nothing is a bigger way to get people to not like you than when their, you know, first experience with you is online and that experience is A, tacky, B, rude, or three, just annoying. It, it seems that you have a lot of people, especially when it comes to smaller races, when the candidate is more likely to be active with their social media, that they're just going to post things all day, that they're just going to go ahead and constantly argue with people in the comments. When, when it comes to a campaign, and let's just look at local politics, because that seems to be where you see a lot more people have a lot more of a hands-on approach with their social media. Do you ever think there's a boundary for the limits of where you should go and where you shouldn't go when it comes to interacting with people? I think you shouldn't have to respond. It depends on what platform you're using first and foremost. I think on a platform like Facebook and Instagram where commenting is very encouraged, I think, and you don't use up a certain amount of tweets and grow your tweet count. I think comments go very well over on those two platforms, especially in LinkedIn too. But I think something like Twitter, especially with its more aggressive nature in the present day, not responding to everything on Twitter may be your best bet. You have to be diligent in terms of what you respond to and what you don't respond to. I think you have to be judicious when it comes to responding to certain things. If it's death threats, you obviously have to report that. If it's inappropriate comments, you can flag those. And politicians or would-be politicians have to be mindful of what certain people do say on their various accounts. Because you don't want, if you're trying to portray yourself as a good Christian you're not going to resort to bullying tactics or use inappropriate language. You don't want that language to be found on your account or anyone to assume that you endorse good behavior or bad language or bad behavior or bad language. You want to have a very professional looking presence and comment. The comment section really can highlight that. And unfortunately, sometimes you can't prevent comments. But what if I want to call Kim Jong-un rocket man? What if I want to do that? Or what if I want to go ahead and (laughs) accuse someone else that, you know, I need to paint them as the villain? What if if I want to go ahead and start attacking them? Is there ever an opportunity to do that? Or should I do that, you know, in front of a camera where people can see me actually saying it? Well, if you're trying to be on the offensive, I would say, uh, unless you're someone like a President Trump or someone very high profile who can attract certain attention, it may not be best to resort to ad hominem. While it's great, that nickname is very catchy. It almost mirrors the Elton John song. <laughs> 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 it's very catchy. People have clung on to it very well, and it's been very interesting to see that. I personally would not recommend that, but if you're in a position where you're almost untouchable, much like what President Trump is in, he can get away with comments like that. I think if you're just starting to establish your brand, especially as a politician, you have to be a little careful doing ad hominem attacks because you don't want your opponents to say, well, you're immature, you're not serious about the position or, or about running for office. So you do not want to make yourself susceptible. Again, if you're established, you're untouchable, and people know what to expect from you if you put out funny comments on a regular basis, 
and you don't have to establish name identification, you can get away with that. But I think you have to be a little careful if you're just starting out on social media. You don't, and only certain people can be creative with nicknames like that. I think not everybody can be a rocket man overnight. So <laughs> Gabriella, what my team and I did was we sat down, we put together a list of social media myths that specifically pertain to campaigns. And these are some mm-hmm. things that I've seen people do. I call them social media sins because mm. they, they just. They just go against all logic. So I've got a couple that we'll try and hit before the commercial break. The first one, and I, I'm surprised that this is one of controversy for some people, but it's so sad. The first one is I can run my entire campaign through Facebook. Oh, bless their hearts. No, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Why? while it is the most widely used platform out there, you cannot solely rely on that because a lot of young voters, if people are particularly trying to reach out to millennials, they can be found more so on Instagram, YouTube, even if, if you're trying to reach out to people through video, especially, which is important. But you need to have a presence across several different social media platforms because you could be missing out on reaching out to a potential constituency or voting block if you just limit yourself to Facebook. If you're perhaps in a smaller area, Uh, or smaller district, I should say, you could get away with having very few platforms out there. But I think you have, candidates have to assess and determine what the best platforms are there out there for them. And it's not just limiting yourself to one platform, you have to explore and see, and they they cannot be contained to one platform over the other. Because what we saw last year with Virginia's um, House of Delegates elections, a lot of these delegates who lost or barely won were not engaging people on Twitter or Instagram. They don't really have a presence. Maybe a few state senators, I think one in particular follows me on Instagram and I follow him back in the Virginia state legislature and he uses Instagram, which many state lawmakers don't. And there's a huge opportunity to get more constituents or to familiarize potential voters with your platform or just having them see more behind the scenes look as to what your campaign does or what your office is doing. And no matter the size of your seat or your district, you do want to have a presence um, across different platforms. And we just didn't see a lot of engagement beyond Facebook or even heavy use of Facebook, I would argue, uh, among all these incumbents who lost and those who barely won. They were not engaging on Twitter which is this year going to be uh, a more preferred platform among people. People are going to go back to Twitter or start Twitter if they haven't started on Twitter at all. So it's going to be an interesting time on social media with respect to use by politicians, candidates, would-be candidates, and people just have to assess and see what the best is for them and obviously not limit themselves to just one platform. You're absolutely right. And the only thing I would add, because this is probably going through somebody's mind as they're trying to find a way to cheat the system, social media solely is not a substitute for traditional campaigning. And it seems like some candidates, they want to lean one direction or another. They have to find that balance. So understanding, okay, I'm going to divert so much time towards traditional campaigning, knocking on doors, uh, Uh going to events and stuff like that, and then making sure you have a confident and stable social media presence. And that leads us to the next myth. You should never let your candidate be in charge of their own social media. This one, I... um, and this is just my opinion. I've been in situations where when I ran campaigns or I ran social media, I actually did not allow my candidate 
to have access to it because my fear is always what if they do something without running it past me or our team? What if they go ahead and um, you know they just completely post a whole bunch of stuff and their typos or what if they just do something stupid? While others, I do see the idea that if they've gone ahead and they have it established, they have a you know a system in place and they're confident with it, it's okay to share that responsibility. Where where do you kind of stand on that? I think um, a candidate or a politician should know what's being put out there across social media on their behalves. I think they can uh, delegate that task to a staffer, a social media manager. That's never a crime, but also they. If they're obviously not going to be handling social media, their perspective and their voice should at least be accurately communicated. Because when someone has complete full reins, unless they're pretty stable, if they're a stable genius, <laughs> for example, <laughs> if someone is stable and you know that they're not going to veer off, I think them having partial control of their account is acceptable. But I think there has to be a rein in of control on social media for candidates just because they could miscommunicate something, they could post something. Uh, but things happen too by accident when staffers are in control, uh, blunders, uh, Ted Cruz tweeting out pornography, which is, was not him. <laughs> I'm friends with the social media manager and I know, and probably various different people manage his social media Twitter account. So he's very much opposed to that. He would not have endorsed that ad. And it was just a blunder by one of his staffers, which was pretty evident. But <laughs> things like that happen unexpectedly, not intentionally. And um, yeah, staffers can make blunders too. But I think you can have a healthy balance between who controls. But certainly they have to know what's being put out there on their behalf. They should at least contribute or say, could you please communicate this on my behalf? And at least have them endorse it, not just do something without their consent. Because what if they don't approve of it? Um, as long as you come to a mutually agreeable way to uh, communicate tweets or Instagram posts or Facebook statuses or pictures, I think the candidate and the social media manager have to work in concert with one another. And that's what I do. I'm consulting several political campaigns and my, one of my candidates does a lot by his own and he has uh, social media dashboards. And, but he, he consults me sometimes with how should I put this out or what should I do? And I trust that he's very smart. He hasn't made any blunders. So he does a lot of it on his own and he just consults me to say, should I be using this tool? Should I be on here? Should I be doing this? So people can sometimes have free reign over it, especially if they're so small and they're more budgeted, but a more national campaign, a Congress race, a congressional race or a senatorial race, or even a presidential race, you do have to have a combined effort among social media managers, digital managers, and the candidates or politician at hand. Perfect. And our final myth before we go ahead and hit the commercial break, live streams are a good substitute for earned media. Live substitutes. Hmm. I don't know. You have to be your authentic self if I'm, if I'm not misinterpreting your question. Yeah. <laughs> because it seems that, you know, it's, it, it's it's not even an open secret these days. It's very difficult for a lot of up-and-coming candidates, whether they're underdogs, what have you, to get earned media. And then it's like they essentially just live on their Facebook page, and the biggest way for them to go ahead and reach out to people is live streaming. And then what yes. you have is you have some people, it's like they've declared a war on the fake news, so to speak, and it's all, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and try out, try and reach out to many people as I can organically and ignore reporters, ignore interviews, ignore the opportunity to get mentioned in other places. 
Yeah, I think you certainly do want to put out stuff on your own um, and hope that they do attract some earned media, give you some earned media, whether it's a Facebook Live announcement or a YouTube video posting an announcement or uh, have it be a, a video based on issues. Or, and, and also coupling that with an aggressive PR strategy and sending out any material or announcement you make or position you put out publicly to the press. We don't want to make the enemy of the press. We do want them to cover conservative Republican candidates favorably. I'm a big believer in that. And then there's some you certainly avoid and you don't touch. But I think it depends upon the reporter and, and depends upon the publication as well. So I think you can have a balance between putting out your own content and praying and hoping that you do attract positive earned media. And then there's also the other component with trying to get the attention of mainstream press or local press or state press, uh, because it's so important to get favorable color coverage and not let one, the, let's say the opposition, get all the coverage. Exactly. Folks, we're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break, but I have a message from our sponsors this half hour. I'm not a day trader. I'm, I, you know, you can go ahead and ask some of my math teachers growing up how I did. My grades were not necessarily that great. And when it comes to my finances as a functioning adult, you know, a stable genius, I think I can go ahead and do enough for myself to make sure that I have a little bit extra to save at the end of the month. Are you going to go ahead and throw it in a savings account, throw it off in another investment? How about you let your money grow for you? Check out our friends at Helium.com where you can go ahead and invest in various different currencies, including cryptocurrencies. And it's all automated to make sure you go ahead and and get the maximum gains possible. You can go ahead and learn more at joinhelium.com. That's J-O-I-N-H-E-L-E-U-M, joinhelium.com. That's joinhelium.com. This is Remso Republic. Hang on tight. We'll be right back after this. Join the Remso Republic on Patreon today. 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 Take the show on the go by subscribing to the Rimza Republic on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and YouTube. Don't be left out. Lynchburg is a city that embodies the spirit of service Virginia is known for. I'm Albert Billingsley, and I'm running to promote free enterprise, accountability, and trust in the Lynchburg City Council. Check out my website, billingsleyforlynchburg.com, and help us let Lynchburg lead the way. I'm Albert Billingsley, and I approve this message. Hello, my name is Alex Merced, and I am a libertarian. I invite you to join me in spreading the message of liberty. Come down to alexmerced.com where you can find videos and lots of other media to help educate people about liberty and more. I've also created LearnEconomicsNow.com as a quick way to show anyone the basics about economics. Libertarian101.com, a great starting place to learn what is libertarianism, how to get involved, and how to move things forward. IntroTheLiberty.com, where you can learn more about how to spread the message of liberty through positive messaging from people like myself, Larry Sharp, and Michael Pickens. And don't forget LibertarianPodcast.com, where you can find an exhaustive list of Libertarian podcasts for you to enjoy. This is Alex Merced. Follow me on social media such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and more. And thank you very much. Hey, 
Hey guys, Tim Preuss here, and I wanted to take a minute and invite you to stop over to PreussPodcast.com and give our show a listen. We've got in-depth commentary on the issues that matter to you. These hookers. <laughs> fucking whores are out there. These They're... hookers, man, I tell you. Yeah, that's like the most contact I've had with the hooker. It's them yelling at them you. yelling at me on Twitter. <laughs> we break down the most pressing issues of our time. This what? large lady with, like, tight clothing on. Not appropriately linked tight clothing either. And we get the most intelligent analysis from friends of ours like Jeffrey Tucker. Uh, we pulled over engine trouble and, and what happened, what happened? Uh, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's, uh, oh, I, oh, God. Seriously, though, we love putting on a show that both entertains and educates. We're growing and we'd be thrilled if you joined us. Check out PreussPodcast.com for more. That's P-R-E-U-S-S podcast.com. Folks, welcome back to the program. We're continuing our conversation from earlier. In the before the commercial break, we went ahead and covered a lot of the social media myths that plague candidates and campaigns. I want to go ahead and you know jump on more of a case study. Um, there have been moments where, when you wake up in the morning, your candidate or someone has done something completely horrifying, and you're just seeing your entire life flash before your eyes and your career crashing down. Like the Death Star, it's just you know it can get really scary overnight. Gabriella, is there any horror story that you've encountered during your years of press and social media managing that you think could be a warning signal to others so they might not make the same mistake? I think what people should do, especially if they contemplate going down this route. Um, two things. One is obviously you don't have to go exactly into this route. Most of my background is in grassroots politics and I was able to couple that with media. I worked in radio when I lived back in San Diego. I worked with a San Diego host and really helped bring his profile up. And so I was working, working, working. I took so many internships and then I coupled it with uh, grassroots. And my primary occupation when I worked at Leadership Institute was handling grassroots organization for the Northeast. I traveled to college campuses, including the Ivy Leagues, and I put a lot of my media stuff on the back burner. But I think you don't necessarily have to have a direct route to media. Anyone is capable of being a media expert, but not everyone is cut out for it. It's a cutthroat industry. And um Not everyone's going to choose to do it, but it is possible to be a good communicator and help others communicate as well. I think also you could have a quasi-public figure and also be a communications expert. I've done a lot of political blogging in my day. I helped found and establish publications with others, and I've seen publications go down, and I've worked for organizations. I've been interviewed by a lot of uh, prominent media outlets and done interviews and this, and I think you can maintain a public profile and also uh, offer expertise to, I don't know why there's this shying away of people, especially if you go to Capitol Hill, a lot of people who are working communications don't really have a public presence. It's forbidden because they don't want their bosses to be uh, lumped in with certain things that they may say on their behalves. And so people are very cautious with being a communicator, um, especially on behalf of someone else without 
and, and they don't maintain that public persona, which is unfortunate. And I think you could be publicly out there with things uh, without having to just become a viral sensation. Uh, so I think you can balance both the public and also the professional very well. And conservatives sadly shy away from that. And a lot of people who are more established don't want us, us younger millennials to be doing that, which is unfortunate, but I think they're sorely mistaken. And I think another thing is, you know, doing this, especially in politics, people don't understand the value of the dollar. We preach free markets, but we don't practice what we preach, especially a lot of older members. So they love talking about young people and having them be involved in politics, but so many young people are choosing to leave the political industrial complex, as I call it, because there are not many monetary opportunities, because a lot of people like to shortchange us since we're younger. They think we're not capable, we're not professional enough, we slack off. But in fact, our generation, interestingly enough, is very, very motivated, works very hard. Not all of our generation is lazy, entitled, or subservient to anything. And I think um, we have to do a better job in the conservative movement of creating opportunities financially for people to thrive. And whether it be in communications, fundraising, grassroots, you name it, um, I think we have to do a better job in it or else people are going to go to the private sector. And for me, I'm really blessed that I can work even beyond politics. I work primarily in the outdoor industry and with small business and veterans groups as well. So I'm still kind of in in the niche of conservatism, but I work with people who are doing big things even beyond the political industrial complex. So I think we have to do a better job as a movement of creating opportunities in line with free enterprise values, I think. I, I agree with you entirely on that point. And the pivot, but you know, keep keeping all of that in mind, when, when it comes to getting people involved, when it comes to inspiring people to go out and engage and take action... Um, it seems like there's a misconception amongst older individuals that they think that, oh, the millennials, they understand the language of social media and everything else. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think the biggest thing is how you how you message, what tools you utilize and how you properly you know, use them to reach out to the, you know, speak the vernacular of the target audience you're focusing on. When you look at the 2016 general election, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders were, I think, the best examples of that because people were like, well, Trump's not specific on policy. Trump's not making sense. Trump sounds very exaggerative. But he speaks like most guys you'll go ahead and you know go get a beer with. And for Bernie Sanders, he came off not necessarily as the curmudgeon communist that I see him as, but for a lot of politically apathetic people, they saw him as – Uncle Bernie or Grandpa Bernie, and he had, you know, if we were to go based off Facebook likes alone, um, Bernie Sanders would have been president in that mm -hmm. case. It's insane. Do you think there's really, uh, you know, a big secret to understanding how to properly message ideas over social media, or do you think it ultimately comes down to the individual organization? <laughs> I think you have to be able to create an authentic voice, and in the example you cited, that senator obviously has a following, a very dedicated following, however misguided his viewpoints are. <laughs> and people are really drawn to a brand or an individual who epitomizes a brand. And we've seen that a lot with President Trump as well. Uh, people inclining to him because of his brand, they're very familiar with him from his days in corporate America, having established or grown his family business to exponential heights and being very popular TV hosts. So people are largely attracted to individuals, sometimes to the level of cult of personalities, which can be very unhealthy. However, 
I think if people are drawn to individuals, and we're seeing this in Virginia, where people are being drawn to certain campaigns, especially on the U.S. senatorial side, because the individual is very likable, very level-headed, um, and I'm speaking largely about Nick Freitas and, and some other individuals, Ben Klein running for Virginia's 6th district, I believe. So people are largely attracted to candidates and campaigns because of the brand uh, that individuals make for themselves. And I know both of those gentlemen I cited have attracted a huge following among Virginia grassroots libertarians, conservatives, and, and independents um, because they're, they have a very unique, very authentic brand of conservatism. And the same could be said of people on the left. A lot of them, the very popular politicians, have a young, friendly, very digitally savvy brand and people inclined to their ideas and they like that. And um, I don't know if if, if uh, it could be successful for every single person who wants to run for office, but it doesn't hurt to help build up your brand and have it grow to great heights because you can come from be having low name recognition, much like what Senator Ted Cruz had when he first ran for office. He had very limited name ID. He had 0. 0.0 something percent when he first started in 2011, when he first ran for office in the U S Senate. And he is now one of the most well-named, well-positioned, high name ID people in Texas nationally. It's a little different, although unfortunately he has negative stuff uh, according to mainstream media, but among conservatives, he's still very well liked, but Ted Cruz was able to, for example, build up low name ID to very high and pretty positive name ID in Texas specifically, especially uh, in such a short amount of time. Yes. Well, because he wrote off not necessarily the coattails, but he wrote off the wave of people wanting constitutional conservatism. That brand resonated well with people. He had savvy, savvy digital and tech people on board his campaign to help brand him successfully using the right tools, modern technology, and really getting him positive press coverage and, and highlighting his story. He was able to brand himself using his anti-communist uh, story with his father fleeing Cuba for America having been sucked into uh, the communist ideology of Fidel Castro originally, and then he saw the light and eventually came to the U.S. back again. He he first was <laughs> caught into it, came to the U.S., went back to Cuba, and then saw how bad it was, and then came here permanently and rejected that ideology. So uh, Senator Cruz was able to pick up on that anti-communist, very constitutional, constitutionally conservative-minded story and, and background and brand because of his upbringing so it could take it could be an example of a family story it could be a life experience that alters your worldview but i really think family stories do uh, uh, brand candidates very well we see that with many many people especially if you're following the michigan race u.s senate race there's a gentleman there who has a very exciting brand as a west point graduate uh john james i believe so people are branding themselves through their story and are able to build up their name ID there. But I think it depends on the person. Um, people do, again, have to present their authentic self, and that can come with building up a personal brand through their campaign. And that's so important because if you're just kind of portrayed to be, okay, this organization is building up our brand, it's going to come off very inauthentic, perhaps robotic, and it, it kind of loses its purpose and you and campaigns don't want to appear corporate. They want to appear relatable, transparent, mindful of constituent concerns or voter concerns. And I think what the two examples I said on both the left and the right have been able to achieve for better or worse, especially with regards to the left is people are clinging to individual ideas and personas and personal brands because they're interesting 
or they're compelling and they know how to communicate in a specific tone that resonates with a lot of people. So you brought up the Virginia elections earlier, and I think, you know, we've been kind of, you know, dropping breadcrumbs to this giant elephant in the room. So I'm going to sound unpopular for a second. I think in terms of a great case study for both how to really optimize your social media presence and how to also polarize it is Prince William County Chairman Corey Stewart, who many know ran for lieutenant governor in 2013, ran for governor this last go around and is currently running for Senate. Um, I've heard two very strong opinions on both sides of it. One that's a very pro Corey Stewart individual said when he talks, he talks directly to me and he's constantly active and I get his voice and it's good to see somebody that's off the cuff and, you know, willing to, you know, be more directly engaged with his audience. And then you have others saying, well, you know, you can't go around on live streams calling people cuck and you can't just constantly spout off at every little thing that happens. Corey Stewart, for better or for worse, has a very you know widespread reach when it comes to his social media presence on Facebook primarily. Um, you know, if we were to compare him to the others, a lot of people online who are currently running for Senate, Delegate Freitas and others, um, I mean, they have some catching up to do. What do you think is mm-hmm. the advantage of Corey Stewart's style? What do you think is his biggest disadvantage? Well, he's certainly been able to build up name ID, I would say arguably it's to his detriment because he has a very caustic style of how he communicates and he doesn't know how to coalition build effectively. And I mean, he certainly has hardcore supporters and knows how to use the platforms kind of trying to mimic Trump, but not successfully because as many commentators have said, only Trump can be Trump. And if you try to campaign like Trump in Virginia, his exact style, you cannot succeed. Not because it's uh, because you're it's it's bad or negative, uh, but you have to campaign your own unique way. You can't do it in a in a certain way. And and I mean, I think the way that Mr. Stewart does it is very caustic. Trump did it playfully and joking around, and people have given him a pass more because he has more notability. And while some of his comments are kind of petty. I mean, it's more, it's different because he's in a different position being a billionaire and and very well known. And obviously now he's president. But I think for someone like Stewart, I don't think he can get away with trying to mimic other people because look, he narrowly lost to Ed Gillespie in the primary, despite having so-called momentum on his side. Um, But it didn't spell well for Gillespie that he only narrowly won the primary, having been best positioned to win that contest. Uh, for the primary. Uh, but I, I mean, he, he certainly uses it and attracts people in the alt-right. I think he's alienated a lot of past conservative and libertarian supporters just because of his ad hominem attacks. And that's never good. You can only do so many ad hominem attacks before people get tired of you and your campaign. Um, will it pay off his, his styles and his tactics? A lot of the mainstream media says that a lot of the, excuse me, the main sources say that he's positioned, uh, to have the most success, but anything is possible in this day and age in politics. So I'm not sure. It's, it's definitely something that only time will be able to tell and history will reflect on either positively or negatively. 
But um, Gabrielle, we've covered a lot of information. Thank you so much for coming on. For folks no at home problem. that want to, you know, they, they want like an all-encompassing, what's the biggest piece of take-home advice I can take? What's that message you want to go ahead and send out to people that are saying, hey, maybe I should consider maximizing my social media potential, or maybe I need to go ahead and reevaluate how I'm doing this if I'm a candidate specifically. What's your message to those folks? Well, I would say, please contact me and I can give you a consultation. We can meet if you're especially in Northern Virginia. I would love to chat with you because if you're going to talk to other consultants, they're not going to give you the truth about what goes into running a digital social media operation, especially for a campaign. So I would say first and foremost, please connect with me if you have questions about how to handle social media or how to find someone to help manage your social media, especially if you're running for office, because it is changing every day. There's always something new. There's always a new update. And it's going to be difficult for you to navigate it if you don't have an expert or someone who's adept at handling that, analyzing trends um, across social media to have them on hand. So please talk to me or even just educate yourself on what's trending and research certain industry-related blogs and see what's going on. But again, uh, talking to someone like me who's of the like mind and who understands what's going on in terms of what's trending in the industry and how to communicate that uh, conservative values across uh, mainstream platforms like that. So obviously being educated, knowing what's happening, uh, being a good steward of social media and not trying to get yourself banned on it. You want to be cautious. If you think something could potentially put your account in jeopardy, don't put it out there. But if you get flagged for spam or some other abuse and you didn't do anything wrong, it's important to you find ways to address that, get in touch with people in Silicon Valley. We have some allies in Silicon Valley, believe it or not, and uh, they are available to chat with us. There's a great group called Lincoln Network. So if you want to learn about what tech is doing to make politics better or to make government more efficient, one group that we have on the right is called Lincoln Network. And they're a really great group of guys. They're technologists. And we have a lot of things to uh, look out for and especially in Virginia's election flippable claimed that they used new polling devices or new polling startups that tracked regressive polling small samples of polling data in districts like the House of Delegates races that flipped from Republican to Democrat so we have to be on the lookout for certain technologies we can use to outbeat or outlast the left if especially if they're trying to reclaim certain things or implement new technologies to reach certain demographics and reach certain types of voters so i think obviously talking to social media experts or branding experts like myself and also just learning about groups like the lincoln network that are doing great stuff to make government more efficient especially in line with liberty and limited government values so we've been talking about social media this entire time but if people want to connect a few even check out your website how could they do so Sure. My website is GabriellaHoffman.com. Very simple to find. You can find case studies there of past successful work, uh, a contact form where you can directly reach out to me. And if you have questions, uh, you can find information on how to bring a training hosted by me or have me come lecture or talk as well. I'm also on Facebook. It's very simple to find me. If you do a search of Gabriella Hoffman, I have a public and a private account as well. I'm also on Instagram at Gabriella underscore Hoffman. Very easy to find me there. Twitter, it's Gabby underscore Hoffman. And I have a blue verification check mark, so it'll be very hard to, to miss me on those platforms. I also have a YouTube account where I'm going to be exploring some more videos and creating more videos, hopefully related to branding or some commentary loosely related to politics and, and mirroring uh, kind of my work. 
as well. But I'm all across social media and I'm very accessible and approachable. And any people who have questions or just want to hear more insight or just kind of want to figure out if communications is something they want to pursue, I'm happy to answer questions. And before I forget, folks, she also has a podcast available on iTunes, Sweet Disruptors. Uh, Where else can they listen to that? Or is it just on iTunes? Uh, We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and I think that's where we're distributed. But those are I know there's so many platforms out there, but we talk about creative disruption there. And we're going to do it on a semi-regular basis. My sister and I are both very busy. So we'll see what happens. And it's an exciting project. And we've gotten some good initial feedback. So we're hoping to see where it takes us. Outstanding. Gabriella, a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be on. Folks, we talk about creative disruption like we're talking about reinventing the wheel, but it's often the concept of, you know, just understanding what's a better way to make something already rather simple even more simple. It's understanding how to speak the vernacular of the audience you're engaging and thinking like they think, understanding what is the way that's going to get them to engage with you, when it, especially when it comes to social media like we've been discussing. Things are changing every day, and it's important to keep on top of that. So definitely do. And hey, if you want to go ahead and help us out in our effort to go ahead and find these disruptors, talk about the disruption, and make freedom fun again, go ahead and leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It helps us get on those trending charts as always. It's free marketing, folks. And hey, we'll go ahead and share it on their page if you go ahead and leave us something awesome. If you hate us, don't bother. I don't want it. But hey, if you really love us, go ahead and check us out on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can go ahead and get access to exclusive content, everything from Mystery Pulp Theater, Haunted Republic, and so much more. Starting at $1 a month, you go ahead and throw that away in pocket change. And if you're afraid you'll get beat up by Antifa and you don't want to publicly support me, I accept Bitcoin and Ethereum too. You can go ahead and find that at remsorepublic.com slash donate. As always, be good to your neighbor. Go out and treat yourself. And tune in next week, America. I'm Remster W. Martinez. Good night. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting remsorepublic.com. Hey, this is Lloyd Bailey, the Armed Lutheran, host of the Armed Lutheran Radio Podcast, reminding you that the podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Check out all the great content at selfdefenseradio.net.